What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Case Watch deals with content meant for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Case Confirming the body found in Grand Teton National Park is Gabby Petito, and she was killed. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Orenthal James Simpson, not guilty of the crime of murder. Late today, Chris Watts was officially charged with the murders of his wife and his two young girls. Remember these words. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Hey, Crime Creeps, it's your pal Mark. And I'm Charity. And this is the Case Watch Podcast. Go ahead and follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram, Case Watch Podcast, Twitter, Case Watch Pod. You want to follow us personally on Instagram, I am at NotMarkB. Charity is at Charity underscore Case Watch. Charity, it is Thanksgiving. It sure is. And I wanted to put out a promo code for all of our creeps to go ahead and get free shipping on everything in the Crime Creep store. Yes, that would be awesome. All you got to do is use the promo code free ship. Could it get any easier than that? I mean, we don't want to stress people out with confusing No, nope. free ship. Go ahead and use it at www.casewatchpodcast.com. Hit the merch store, check out and use that code and you'll get free shipping on your entire order. Mark, what am I wearing right now? You are wearing a Deuce Tree shirt. I sure am and I love it. I am wearing the brand new hate crime creep shirt which i love i'm like actually really jealous because i need that t-shirt i'm gonna order it i got uh kristen a hoodie and she's wearing it right now too she was so excited she told me that the other day that it came in all right guys so if you buy yourself some merch go ahead and post a picture and tag us in it we want to see our merch reach from coast to coast and a few crime creeps already have and we love it oh absolutely love it all right well moving on on this thanksgiving special i can't think of a better way than to have some triple d on my thanksgiving Well, Mark, before we get into Triple D, we've gotten a couple of submissions for Case Watch Court. Already? I am so excited. Are you serious? I am so excited. Well, ladies and gentlemen, say no more. Case Watch Court is now in session. Guys, you have to see Mark's face when he hits that button. I get excited. He gets excited and like he pulls his hand down and like quickly pulls it up. I don't know if anyone's seen Legally Blonde with the bend and snap. That's kind of what his hand does. Well, to me, it's like a power move. It's like, I can make this sound. Ready? Yeah. yeah you guys. Oh, my God. Oh my I God. do completely do that All with right. my hand. Let me know, guys, if you want me to like oh, do a video don't. clip. They're going to want to see this. It's hysterical. And here is our first submission. Hi, Case Watch Court. 
First off, my husband and I are true crime creeps and listen to every episode, but we have a debate in our household that needs to be settled. I am a firm believer that the toilet paper goes up and over the front, but my husband says it goes over and behind. What say you guys? What you decide will be law in our house. And that was from Michelle from Texas. Thank you, Michelle. So Mark, what are your thoughts? First off, I mean, you're letting us decide rule in your house. Like I feel the power over here. I'm all excited. I know. (laughs) I hope we don't end a marriage. Hey, they said what we say goes. That's so. true. That's, and they seem like they're First fun. off, thank you for being crime creeps. And second off, mullets are bad guys. Hold on, Mark. As a hairstylist, I do have to tell you that mullets are indeed back and they are back in force. Mullets can be back and forth on a human all they want. Oh, on toilet you, paper, mm-hmm. mullets are bad. Toilet paper goes up and over the front. And yes. if I show up at your house, I'm judging you, and I'm going to unhook your toilet paper roll, and I'm going to flip it. And then I'm going to come out and tell everybody what you had your toilet paper You're going to like shame them. So, Mark, it, luckily, when you come to my house, you won't have to switch it. because I, I think o- just to be fun, I'm going to go into your house and switch it the other way. I would be so enraged. I don't know why it's such a big debate, but th- but Michelle is right. This is a big debate with couples. It's a big debate all around. So guys, you got to tell us what you think. The- this couple needs our help. Guys, does it go up and over the front like Case Watch has now ruled it should? Or do you think mullets are cool? Let us know in our social media. And you can think that mullet haircuts are cool, but not think a mullet toilet paper is cool. Oh yeah, they're two separate things. Totally separate guys. They're not even in the same group. Love it. Okay, so our next submission says, hey guys, I need a ruling on horn etiquette. Oh boy. <laughs> For example, when you're in a drive-thru and the person in front of you places their order and only moves up a little, but they leave a full car length in front of them and they are blocking the order box, is it wrong of me to blast them with my horn? I'm jonesing for my morning dose of dunks too. And that's Cindy from Boston. I could tell she was from New England because she was jonesing for her dunks. Have you not heard my epic debacle at KFC like... Yeah. I take my drive through very seriously and you need to blast them. They should know better. You place your order and you move up. So Mark, I've been in the line before. The exact same thing has happened to me. And you move up enough that like the nose of your car is in front of the, the speaker. So the person behind the speaker is like, hi. Welcome to, you know, wherever, McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts. Can I take your order? And you can't because you're too far away. So you can hear them saying that, but you can't yell, I'm not close enough to the speaker. And it it is irritating. And I have beeped before. I pull up close that it looks like I'm going 200 miles an hour at Daytona and this is NASCAR. I'm drafting your car like (laughs) you better believe I'm up there. Hey, I totally agree with her because when you need your morning coffee, you need your morning coffee. All right. And this brings up a wider debate on horn etiquette in general. Yeah. Sometimes... People, if you get your horn beeped at you, it may not be at you. You might be the middleman here because the car behind you is realizing the guy in front of you doesn't know what they're doing. True. So they're beeping through you. So you got to carry it on. So if the guy behind you blasts the horn, you realize I didn't do anything. And then you look ahead like, oh, I get it. Tap your horn. Let that person in front of you know, hey, the guy behind me thinks you're a total tool. Right. So it's not always a negative thing. But Mark, you have told me that you do have you are an aggressive driver and have some horn issues. I do. Well, I'm a truck driver, so that's what I do by trade. So, yes, I have actually broken the air horn tassel (laughs) that you pull the air horn with and had to replace it. What did they say? when when My boss was like, of course, that was you who did this. I was like, you got it. You were like so aggressively pulling at it that it broke. That doesn't sound right, Charity. (laughs) Get your mind out of the gut, Mark. (laughs) This is Thanksgiving. Let's remember that. This is the day of thanks and giving. And guys, we are super, super thankful for our crime crepes. Yes, I am eating Chinese right now in real life on Thanksgiving because Kristen has gone to New York and I have to work. So I'm going to have Chinese food today. Yeah. 
Uh, if you can't tell, we're re- recording this a couple days early just because we don't want to do it on Thanksgiving. Right. All right, moving on. Thank you, guys. I love that you already sent us two cases on Case Watch Court. Keep them coming in. Info at casewatchpodcast.com. Charity, now can we move on to Triple D's? Because everybody loves it. Um. Yeah, of course we can. Awesome. So, Mark, one of our crime creeps, Lindsay, who is also a friend of mine, sent us a Triple D that I'd like to read. I love the Triple D's from the listeners. Mark, a man caught driving a stolen SUV on the way to bail out his brother who was also arrested for stealing an SUV. Police working this case must have felt some serious deja vu. A man in Kansas was arrested in November for driving a stolen SUV to bail out his brother, who had been jailed only hours earlier for stealing a separate SUV, authorities said. The first sibling caught was 36-year-old Eric Dean McCracken. Oh my God, I love it. (laughs) It's like Phil McCracken. Oh, my God. I love those. Aren't they awesome? Oh, my God. Uh, I wonder if he's related to Mike, microphone. (laughs) Could he be related to Hugh Janus? Mr. Janus, Mr. Janus, you have a phone call. Oliver, Oliver, close off. You're needed at the front registers. Seymour Butts. (laughs) I love that one. one. (laughs) Anya Johnson. Anya Johnson. Uh, I think you're from the Netherlands. She's definitely from the Netherlands. <laughs> okay, I'm guys, sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry, guys. We're going we're gonna to go on. So, yes, the first sibling caught was 36-year-old Eric Dean McCracken. He was arrested for driving a Chevy Trailblazer with a suspended license. The Jackson County Sheriff's Office said police then revealed they learned the SUV had been reported stolen. The McCracken brothers were reunited at the Jackson County Jail. Amazing. Hours later, his younger brother, 32-year-old Keith Ray McCracken, was arrested after leading deputies on a short chase in a stolen 2015 Chevy Silverado that authorities were tracking through its GPS. The sheriff's office said it is believed that the younger McCracken was en route to the Jackson County Jail to post bail on his older brother in a stolen vehicle. It added, they since were reunited in jail. Oh, that was awesome. It was so awesome. That's brotherly love right there. Right? He just wanted to hang out with him. He just, he, or he could have been jealous. I can steal SUVs too. You're not the only one who can. Hold my beer. Watch. I can do it. I can do it too. I love these people. Whatever you can do, I can do better. Uh, Mark, Mark with the songs, guys. He's, he's got a little singing, a little stuff. I have no ability to sing though, to carry a tune. Neither do I. We were just talking earlier before we came on that I was joking saying Mark and I should make a music group and then he, but he would have to do so much extra work to make us try to sound normal. <laughs> yeah. We have a hard enough time just talking normal. So. I know. I know. And if things do sound a little odd, guys, this is day one in our brand new studio that we just built. So we have a new crime case. We do. And it's a work in progress. So we'll keep you updated with pictures and stuff like that. But Absolutely. Right now, it's just us sitting in the room with my cool cleaver on the wall. So we'll have to get a little further along before we send you guys Absolutely. a picture. Absolutely, But the so, cleaver is awesome. Just in case we do sound a little odd today, just wanted to let you know why. Mark, we sound odd every day. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's nothing new. I think they're okay with it. They seem to be okay with it. I hope so. I hope so. Here's another mark. Let's be honest. There has likely been at least once in your life when you had to make a silly excuse to justify something you did. Hopefully. Once. Yeah, right. (laughs) That's like every day. I know. Hopefully it was not as stupid as the following story. While being handcuffed after leading police on a high speed chase, Relaford Cooper III claimed that it was his dog driving the car. What's even worse? Mark, there was no dog in the car. Well, of course he got spooked by the cops and took off. (laughs) I'm sorry, Mark. I don't think that one would work. It's worth a try. You never know if it would work. I mean, how many people have used the dog ate my homework excuse? I've never used that one. 
Does that actually work? Definitely not. All right, Charity, to wind down this episode's Triple D segment, can you just give us one more? The people are demanding it on Thanksgiving. Yes, absolutely, Mark. And there's there's plenty of these out there. So here we go. Two officers in Detroit, Michigan, were demonstrating their patrol car's felon locating system to the children of a neighborhood during an educational lesson. A man named R.C. Gatlin walked up to them and asked them about the process. To show him how the system worked, they asked him to give them his ID and driver's license as part of the demonstration. When they placed his driver's license in the system, they found out that the man was wanted for a robbery committed two years previously and arrested him. What an idiot. Come on, guys. You can do crime better than that. That one is hilarious. This guy's like, oh my God, that does work. I am wanted. He probably wanted to see if they could actually do it, but to actually give your license, man, come on. All right, guys. So Charity and I were thinking now that it's Thanksgiving and Black Friday is tomorrow that we wanted to try to do something to give some stuff away. Yes. So basically, everybody loves our crime creep accoutrement. (laughs) I don't know what that word means, but it sounded right. I don't either. Everybody likes our shirts. Yes. So as a way to kind of get some more words out there about the show, basically how these shows spread is five star reviews. Exactly. Doesn't matter what you say. It's the five stars. All right. So basically, if you feel like the show deserves five stars, go ahead and leave a five star review. Take a screenshot of it and send it to us. And then you will be entered in to win a case watch shirt of your choice. Charity, is there a word we want to use this time around? So my friend Jen has a variety of fantastic phrases and idiot stick was one of hers. And we had some crime creeps go over and give five stars and leave just the word idiot stick, which was fantastic. I love those. So a little phrase that she uses a lot that is fantastic is simply dirt ball, dirt ball, dirt ball, like you're a dirt ball. All right, guys. So head on over to Apple. You don't even have to be listening to us on Apple. You can just go over and leave a review. If you think that we deserve five stars, leave a five-star review. Put Dirtball in as the description. Screenshot it. Send it to info at casewatchpodcast.com, and you'll be entered in to win a shirt of your choice. This is so exciting. And I'll draw it live on Christmas Day. Yes. I'll go Facebook Live and draw the winner, and then I'll ship it right to you. I love this. And I'll do this worldwide. I love this. So it doesn't matter where you are. I will ship this shirt to you worldwide. I love this. And a matter of fact, we'll pull two people. The second person will get a case watch four pack of stickers. I love this is so awesome. I hope so, you guys love this too. Our way of just saying thank you. Like we never expected to actually even be successful in the fact that we have a, a loyal following. We love you guys. And this is our way of just doing a little something for you for Christmas time. Absolutely. Charity, I want to know what are we talking about today? Because you haven't told me and you just told me that I needed to prepare myself for. Yeah. Fun. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc 
So, Mark, we're going to be talking about Israel Keys. Have you heard of them? I have. I don't know a ton about the case, but this has been sent in to us probably one of our more recommended cases that have been sent in. Yeah, I saw that too. And that's why I You're going to make a lot of people happy now. I decided to look into it. I've heard of it bits and pieces, but once I dove into it, there's a lot. Okay. I'm definitely excited to hear about it. So go ahead, Charity. All right, let's just get right into it. So Keyes was born January 1978 in Utah. His parents were Heidi and Jeffrey Keyes, and they would go on to have 10 children in total. Keyes was a second born child. All of the children were born at home. Heidi and Jeffrey did not believe in medicine and didn't trust the government whatsoever. They also didn't believe in public schooling. So during the time of Key's birth, the home would be run under a very, very strict Mormon belief. Okay. When Keyes was just a toddler, the family would relocate from Utah to Washington. They would live in isolation, quote unquote, off the grid. So the children would be homeschooled, of course, and the family would live without any electricity or even running water. So basically living as simple as they could, which to me, I assume that would make their life anything but simple, right? I mean, you would think you have access to all of these things that you could be using and they chose not to. So I'm not 100% opposed to that kind of lifestyle, I guess, because, you know, technology has changed this world, some say for the better. Some say for the worst, yeah, to each I mean, their own, I guess. There's something to be said about living simply, you know? Yeah, to each their own, like provolone. Yep. So while they were living in Washington, the family would decide to leave their Mormon beliefs and join a different Christian set. This one believed in white supremacy. Just lovely, right? So moving on, in the late part of the 1990s, the family would move to Oregon and then finally settle down in Maine, very close to an Amish area. So they liked this way out there, simple living type of situation. Okay. So Mark, during this time, Keys would begin stealing guns from neighbors so he could, quote unquote, kill anything with a heartbeat. That's not starting out well. No, and it's just like many others we've heard before with animals and jo the joy of killing animals when they were younger. So along with just killing these animals, he also really enjoyed torturing them. Oh, come on, guy. So, I mean, we've heard this many times. Yes. While still a teenager, Keyes told his parents that he was leaving the family's extreme Christian faith. And due to this decision, his father would sever all ties with him. What an amazing dad, huh? Yeah, you don't believe our white supremacy? I will never speak to you again. Yep, that's pretty much, I think, what it was like. But yet his mother and he would continue to be very close and have a nice, nice close relationship, which is nice. July of 1998, at the age of 20, Keyes would join the United States military. And he actually did really well in the military. But I'm sure he learned many skills, Mark, that no one like him should need to know, such as how to kill and gun training. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not, probably not the best, you know? He would stay in the military for a total of four years, and he would be honorably discharged after receiving a DUI in July of 2001. But this was actually the only incident while he was in the military. He had no issues with any sort of trouble with law enforcement at all. He was like a really- Model soldier, a mo I guess. Model soldier soldier. Exactly. Okay. In 2001, he became involved with a woman. He would father a daughter with her. This daughter would be born in 2001. When discharged from the military, he would actually move in with her and their daughter. The relationship wouldn't last, though. And in 2007, Keys would meet a nurse practitioner, would start dating her, and they would move to Alaska to be together. This is where he would start a construction business working as a contractor. I'm not sure how often his daughter would come and visit him, but I do know that she would from time to time. Okay. So I don't know if he had like partial. I couldn't really find. I actually couldn't really find much info on his daughter at all, which is a really good thing because I, Correct. it's not her fault that her father was pure evil. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. There's no need for it. So he definitely saw his daughter. And as you see, he does seem to love her. Okay. So let's carry on. It has been said that Key's victims were victims of opportunity. Oh, speaking of that charity, 
Yes. I recommended Mr. Brooks. I watched it. Did you watch it? I wanted to check with you. I watched it. And what guys, did you think? It is awesome. I cannot believe I never even have heard of that movie before. It is so good, guys. Please watch it. When you said victims of opportunity, it kind of made me think back to what we just talked about. Yes. that. I'm going to watch that probably again tonight. Yeah, it, it's fantastic. Absolutely. fantastic. Sorry, I didn't mean to sidebar no, no. you there, but it right. just hit me. Nope. So um, so basically, he didn't have a type of victim. In his own words, his hunting grounds were places where someone might be found alone, and the chances of there being witnesses were very slim. He thought nothing of traveling around to find these places. He liked to frequent cemeteries, obscure parks, and secluded campgrounds. Keyes would also admit to law enforcement that he would case these areas out beforehand, even burying important supplies that were needed. The buried items usually consisted of firearms and ammunition, of course. And also, guys, he would make sure he had very specific chemicals that could dissolve flesh. That is absolutely crazy, Charity. This guy had like murder kits just stored. That's funny you said that because that's kind of also what I named them. Wow, that is absolutely crazy. This story is as crazy as people have described. Yep. It is very crazy. So Keyes was quoted talking about these specific types of locations. He said, not as much to choose from in a manner of speaking, but there's also no witnesses, really. There's no one else around. It is actually unknown when Keyes initially began his killing spree, but it is known he did do a good amount of traveling. In June of 2011, he would fly to Chicago and then drive all the way to Vermont. This is where he would break into the home of Bill and Lorraine Courier. It was reported by the Vermont Publications Seven Days that Bill and Lorraine were homebodies that enjoyed staying at home with their pets in their quiet little Vermont town. They sound so sweet. They sound like me. I prefer to stay home with Sophie the Crime Kitty. Mark's just so sweet with his little crime kitty. Their home would be chosen by Keys randomly, although he figured that because the home was a ranch, there would probably be no children inside. So Tristan Coffin, the U.S. attorney, would say this about the couple's murder. By all accounts, they were friendly, peaceful, good people who encountered a force of pure evil acting of random. How sad is that? That is, yeah. Really, but this isn't too far from where we are, Mark. No, it's really not. Keys would later tell investigators that he had flown from Anchorage, Alaska, where he was living, to Chicago, and then planned to visit his brother who lived in Maine. It was on this drive that he decided to go to Vermont instead. Apparently, as Keyes was driving into Vermont, he remembered that he had a five-gallon bucket buried in the town of Burlington. So this was one of his kill kits, for lack of a better phrase. So he just was driving along, Mark. Let's talk about this for a second. He was just driving along and he was like, you know what would be awesome right now? Be awesome to find a house to break into and, you know, commit a crime. And guess what? I have a kill kit buried nearby. That is absolutely crazy to me. Crazy. Legit crazy. I can't even, I don't know. Let me continue. So Keyes would leave his hotel room and be in walking. During his walk, he would come across the courier home. It would be a little after midnight when he would break into the home through an attached garage. Keyes would later call this a blitz attack. He was apparently proud that it only took him seconds to make it from the garage into the couple's kitchen. He was dressed in all black, wearing a headlamp. He would go to their bedroom where he would find 50-year-old Bill and 55-year-old Lorraine fast asleep. The two would be woken up by the intruder and they would then be tied up with zip ties. This is kind of like his thing. Keys would then begin to ask the couple a series of questions. He wanted to know if they had a safe, if they were gun owners, and also where he could find their ATM cards. What a douche. Actually, new word. Douche pretzel that was sent in to me the other day. Stop. I like that one. He is a douche pretzel. That's awesome. I love it. I love the crime creeps. They keep me entertained with all their their funny words, that's for sure. They're awesome. After he found their ATM cards, he would then put the two in their own car, but not before he took both of their cell phones and the gun they had in their home for protection. 
Oh, boy. So how sad is this? They weren't able to use the gun for protection because of how we broke it. He then drove them to an abandoned home. This was a home that Keyes had found beforehand in anticipation of the crime. This guy thinks ahead. Talk about premeditation. He, he's prepared. That's he for sure. Found a freaking abandoned home to take these people to. He would first remove Bill from the car and bring him inside the home to the basement where he would tie him to a stool. While Keyes was bringing Bill inside, Lorraine tried to run from the car to the closest road. He's unfortunately caught up with her and dragged her into the bedroom of the abandoned home and would tie her to the bed. After tying up Lorraine, he would then head downstairs to check on Bill, realizing that he got himself partially free. So this couple, they're fighting. They are fighting like uh, they are trying so hard to stop whatever is going to happen from happening. Keyes would later say that pissed me off because there's a very specific way I want things done and I have the whole thing planned out. I have everything I need to do it. He then told the investigators that he quote unquote lost control. He hadn't done yet? I was just, you just stole that from me. I was just going to say that. That's nuts, man. Yep. So he lost control when he saw what Bill had done. He would hit Bill many times with a shovel before shooting him and ultimately killing him. So, you know, let's just not shoot the poor guy. Let's beat him with a shovel first. Let's torture him before we do this. After finishing up in the basement, Keyes would head back upstairs to the bedroom Lorraine was in. It was said that he cut all of her clothes off with one of his knives and then would rape her. Oh, come on, buddy. Not once, but twice. While raping her, he would strangle her until she was unconscious. After all this torture, he would wait until she was fully awake and bring her downstairs because guess what? He wanted to make sure she saw her poor husband's bloodied dead body. Lorraine would ultimately lose her life by Keyes strangling her with a rope. Wow. The couple's bodies would then be moved to the corner of the basement where Keyes poured Drano over every inch of them and would cover them with all kinds of items he found laying around. Lastly, Bill and Lorraine's car would be driven to a parking lot where Keyes already had his rental car waiting for him. Because the couple's house only had a few broken windows, there was really no other evidence and the police really had nothing to go on. Yeah, they didn't even know. Maybe like they just took off. Exactly. That's crazy. So they actually didn't know anything until... 2012 when keys would be arrested oh my god a year later yeah that's nuts so he'd be arrested for the murder of 18 year old samantha koenig in alaska and during this time when he was arrested for this murder he would admit to the murder of bill and lorraine oh wow yeah so like a full year so let's talk about samantha's murder because it needs to get out there okay samantha's murder took place in anchorage alaska Apparently, while in Alaska, Keyes was researching different coffee establishments that would be the most suitable for an attack. He ultimately chose the small coffee shop called Common Grounds. This shop is described as a tiny little shop with literally only one employee in a window for patrons to come up to the window and order their coffee. So it was like almost like a little kiosk, I guess they were kind of calling it. They have a couple of these in New Hampshire. I drive yeah. by them. It almost looks like a little ticket taker booth yes. that just have coffee machines and a drive through on both sides. I've seen these. These are actually interesting. So if you if you there's pictures of this, which we, we will post. And um, that's exactly what you just described is what it looks like. Apparently, the little shop was located next to a main road, but there had been tons of snowfall. So the snow would almost like camouflage the shop. This would be the reason Keyes would ultimately decide to rob it. It was nighttime on February 1st, close to closing time. Keyes was sure to wait until there was no customers going in and out of the coffee shop. He would then park his own personal truck in a parking lot nearby. He would then begin walking to the coffee shop. Get this, Mark. With his mug, his zip ties, his gun, and of course, his handy dandy headlamp. He also 
had a police scanner in his ear where he could hear what was going on. So he would know if, if they, they were, were on their way they, or if they were nearby. Wow. Yeah. He's prepared. He made note that there were no cars parked outside. So whoever was working, probably a young girl, he thought, didn't have a car. He waited until just before closing time. He would walk up to the window and place his order. Noticing that the girl was young and small, Samantha would hand him his coffee and he would then pull his gun on her. He would say, this is a robbery. He would then instruct her to turn off the lights. She did as she was told, as I'm sure she was hoping that no harm would come to her. This poor little girl, she's only 18. Yeah, this is horrible. It's horrible. Keyes would then say, give me all the cash in the draw. She emptied the draw and handed over the money. Keyes then told her to get down on the floor. Samantha was told to go to the window and turn around. And this is when he would zip tie her hands together. Then he jumped into the window. Keyes spotted a set of keys on the counter. So he asked Samantha where her car was. Her response was, I don't have one, but my dad's coming to get me in a half hour. I mean... He's going to be here any minute. Poor little thing is nervous and she's trying to dissuade him from hurting her. Mm. So is hoping that he'll get scared off. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is horrific. It is horrific. So Keyes asked her if she hit an alarm and she said no. This is when he made it known that he had the police scanner in his ear and he would surely hear if the police were on their way. He told the young girl that he would kill her if he heard anything of the sort. What would you do in that situation? You know, that's a good question because you are you going to take them at their word that if you comply that they're not going to hurt you or are you going to try to run knowing I mean you have a 50-50 shot you never know you want to believe the best in people but yeah I don't know what I would do in that situation I don't I really you, don't I don't think you really could know unless you were in that type of situation what you do cuz anyone can look from the outside in on any situation and say oh you know I'd do this or I'd do that but when yeah, you Yeah I hope a, I'm never in that situation Oh me too I mean and, and you're a young girl and this is a guy an adult male yeah, this is not good. Nope. He apparently then asked her what her name was, stuffed a bunch of napkins in her mouth and told her that they were going for a walk. While walking, Keyes saw a $300 camera on the ground. When he bent over to pick it up, Samantha tried to run. But again, unfortunately, Keyes was able to grab her and told her he would kill her if she tried to run off again. Once they made it to the parking lot where Keyes had left his truck, he noticed there were a few people nearby. So, Oh boy. Yep. So he's, he told Samantha, I don't want to hurt you, but this 22 is loaded with a very quiet ammo. It will kill you. So don't make me do it again. Do you just comply or do you scream for the people to hear you? Now you got to look into it as if I scream, is he going to kill me and these other people at this point? Oh yeah. That is something you got to think about. You're in a quandary for sure. You sure are. Apparently she listened. He put Samantha in his truck and drove off. It was now close to 11 o'clock. Keys was sure his 10-year-old daughter would be asleep back at his house, but his girlfriend was a night owl and would still be awake. He's taking her to his house where his daughter was visiting or whatever. What I don't does know, his kind of girlfriend think that he's out doing when he's out on his little murder trips? I have no idea. Absolutely none. He figured there would be people looking for Samantha as calls and texts were coming in on the phone that he took possession of. So he decided to send a text to her boyfriend and one to her boss. He wrote it as if she was like really pissed off, then quickly took the battery out of her phone so that no one would be able to reach her. When they finally pulled into Key's driveway, it was about 12 a.m. and he still wasn't comfortable taking Samantha out of the truck for fear that his girlfriend was definitely still awake. Samantha would be left in the truck in the freezing cold until 2 a.m. We're in Anchorage, Alaska. Yeah. It's colder than cold. I can't even imagine. 
I'm sure he didn't say to her, hey, put your winter jacket on first before I zip tie you and take you to my Make truck. Make sure you take your coat before I abduct you. Exactly. He would then put her in a shed located in his backyard. Another one with the sheds, remember? Oh, yeah. Next, he would tie a rope around her neck and secure both sides to the wall, ensuring she would not be able to escape. So think about that. You're sitting to me upright and you have a rope around your neck attached behind you. So you can't even really move your head whatsoever. No, not at all. This poor little thing must have been so scared. All during this time, he would tell her that he would know if she escaped because of that handy police scanner and would kill her if he heard anything. So she's still like trying to comply because she doesn't want him to kill her. And guys, again, this was all going on while his girlfriend, Kimberly, and their 10-year-old daughter were asleep in the house. Apparently, he and his daughter were planning to leave the same morning for a two-week-long trip. I believe I read they were going on a cruise with Keyes' family. How lovely, right? That's just wonderful. Yeah, let me go off on a cruise while I have this poor girl in my shed. So without anyone knowing, Keyes was able to get a hold of Samantha's ATM card that she shared with her boyfriend before waking his daughter, making her breakfast, making sure she was all packed, and then getting her to the airport, all while his girlfriend would stay at home. So it's just status quo, Mark. We're going on our trip. I got a, a young girl in our shed. Alive still at this alive point, I'm still, assuming. Alive still and tied, uh, tied up, but I'm not going to miss my two-week trip with my daughter. Got to make sure she's all packed. And I'm, gonna make I'm, sure I'm like taking this all in, yep. and it's kind of overwhelming. Got to make sure that she's all fed. Got to call for a ride to the airport. Yep, all this fun stuff. Let's talk about what actually happened for Samantha. Okay. According to the NewYorkPost.com, Anchorage police recovered a ransom note on the evening of February 24th, 2012. This included a photo of the teen. Her hair was braided. Her eyes were open. And there was a newspaper dated February 13th, 2012. In the frame, it said proof of life. Apparently, February 29th, 2012, Keyes would start withdrawing the ransom money. This douchebag is withdrawing the ransom money that the family has sent him, hoping to God that their daughter will come home safe. What a scumbag. Mm-hmm. Then, in a not-so-smart move, he started using Samantha's ATM card. So he's starting to slip up. You put so much thought into your mm-hmm. murder buckets and planning out all yep. this stuff. You're going to start using somebody's ATM card that they can track the location of. And a lot of these places probably have security cameras. It's really weird, right? It because- makes no sense. You, you you overplan in certain aspects and then you act like a complete moron in others. Yeah. Like, did he just, I don't, I don't know what was going through his head, but this would actually alert the Alaskan authorities along with the FBI. They were able to obtain his identity and the rental car that he was driving. They were also able to narrow down his location. Texan authorities were notified along with Louisiana and Arkansas authorities. They were told to look for a 2012 Ford Focus. March 13th, 2012, the Ford Focus was seen speeding. This is kind of like a triple D in a way. Oh, yeah. You're a murderer. You have a young girl's ATM card and you're in a rental car. So let me speed on which top is of it. In your name and you're going to speed. So obviously it was pulled over and it was pulled over by Corporal Brian Henry. He was quickly joined by many unmarked cars, Texas Rangers and federal agents. A quick little peek into the vehicle revealed Samantha's ATM card. Keys was taken into custody immediately. Good. That's what I say. On March 26, 2012, Keyes was brought back to Anchorage where he would confess to Samantha's murder. Here is some info from the initial sit down with Keyes and the authorities. I was able to get this info from the NewYorkPost.com also. I'm going to read a question and then I'll say Keyes. That will be the answer when I say Keyes. Okay. So first question, was she alive when you left her? Keyes would say, that would seem like an obvious question. So she was alive when I left? No, Keyes wouldn't answer any more questions until investigators would agree to stop turning the house he shared with his girlfriend, Kimberly, upside down. He also told them they were to stop asking her questions as she had nothing to do with any of this. Here is what he is quoted saying. 
I don't want to hear you questioning her again. You know, like I say, obviously you have no reason to trust me, but I can tell you right now there is no one who really knows me or who has ever known me. Really, I am two different people basically. And the only person who knows about what I'm telling you, the kinds of things I'm telling you is me. Let's find out what he did to Samantha. This is where it gets interesting. I know you like when I say that, Mark. Yes, you do like your interesting word. Yeah. On that cold night in February, after Keys went to Samantha's house and stole her ATM card out of her boyfriend's truck and stopping to make sure she gave him the correct pin, he returned to his shed. He would sexually assault the young girl. Then when he was done with her, he would kill her by asphyxiation. He would leave her body in the shed while he gathered his daughter and went off to his two week long cruise. So he killed her before he even went on the cruise and left her body in his shed. How does the girlfriend who lives at this house not know anything is going on out there? I don't know. Wouldn't there be some sort of smell or something? This was two weeks, you said. Yeah, but you also have to remember, Mark, it's extremely cold. Okay. So yeah, decomp is not going to, yeah. Because listen, he would return from his trip February 17th. Keys decided to make the ransom request then. So he waited till he got back from his trip. So she had already been dead oh. for two weeks. He would then do his best to make sure Samantha looked as if she was still alive. Got, oh, okay. Oh, now yeah. this makes sense. Now that makes sense. He would prepare the ransom note and then text Samantha's boyfriend of its location. This is how the APD would acquire the note. So he must, he braided her hair, he opened her eyes. He posed wow. her to look alive. This guy's a sicko, a complete sicko. While waiting for his ransom money, Keys would dismember Samantha's body, bring her remains to Madanesca Lake, where he would cut a hole in the ice and dispose of her. You would think he would have thought of his own daughter during this horrific and completely senseless murder. He Just remember, you he think a, so. she's only eight years older than his daughter at this time. From all I read, actually, and from what you'll hear a little bit, loved his daughter. How can you love one thing and separate yourself like that to be able to do this to somebody? This is somebody else's little daughter. I'm pretty sure just by listening to this that this guy has got some massive mental issues. <sighs> Keyes has said that his first meditated attack took place in Oregon in 1997 or 98. He wasn't really exactly sure. He abducted a teenage girl and of course he raped her. It was his plan all along to kill her, but luckily this amazing little smart girl was able to talk him out of it. Keyes would later say this to police about the crime. I wasn't violent enough. I made up my mind that I was never going to let that happen again. Like he was angry with himself. This was, is something else. This the, I Can't you see why so many people wanted us to cover this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Keyes claimed that he had killed less than a dozen, yet while in jail, he would use his own blood to draw 12 skulls on his cell wall. Some believe that this means he had 11 victims and the 12th skull was for him. Yeah, it's kind of like the teardrops that they tattoo on their faces. Yeah. This guy's a sicko. He is a wicked sicko. An FBI agent said during an interview with 48 Hours, we believe that 11 is the total number of victims, yet only three of Keyes' victims have been definitively identified. Here are the victims that we definitely know of. 18-year-old Samantha Koenig. Bill and Lorraine Currier, and Deborah Feldman. Five other lives were said to be taken by Keyes himself, but he would never give any names. One of his claims was that he killed four people in Washington between 2001 and 2006. Then he said he murdered a woman on the East and dumped her body in New York State. This is the body of Deborah Feldman, as I stated earlier. There are other murders that law enforcement believe Keyes to be responsible for. These are cases that are still open. So there's currently a bunch of cases still open that we may find out as we move about that he is definitely identified 
identified as the murderer. This is nuts. Isn't it horrible? While in jail, Keyes would give bits and pieces of info to law enforcement and seem to enjoy the control he had. This is kind of like the butcher, right? From last week. Oh, absolutely. Week. They're loving. He's getting off on this. He's getting off on it. He's in full control. He decides what bits and pieces he gives them. He decides, okay, I'm going to give you this little bit and then you're going to ask me a question. And I'm going to say, yeah, that's, that's all. Makes him feel super important. Yep. He wanted to be executed as soon as possible as he didn't want his crimes to further affect his mother or his daughter. Oh, look, the monster has a heart. Yeah, but how is him being executed not affecting his mother or daughter? Because then they can't get any more information out of him. And we can't keep continue hearing how horrific he is all the time. This guy makes zero sense. I know. I agree with you. Unfortunately, not much more info would come as Keyes cowardly would commit suicide on December 1st, 2012. He was given a razor blade, even though he wasn't supposed to be given one. Here's a question. Did he bribe someone? Was it a lapse of judgment or was it just a mistake? I don't think we'll ever know. No. He slit his wrists with the blade and strangled himself with a sheet. His body was discovered the following day, December 2nd, 2012. Something does not add up there. What do they not do? A bed check or well-being check of the inmates? Actually, we have somebody that we are hopefully going to have on who was a warden in the jail systems. Oh, excellent. That we can possibly ask some of these questions to. This person, I personally know. And for years, he was in uh, maximum security prison. Oh, oh my God. We're going to get all kinds of insight with and this. And has met more than one serial killer and has many stories. So well, we can people, ask those questions. watch out for that. That's going to be coming up. Yep. So Keyes' mother, his four sisters, and three brother-in-laws were the only people that attended his funeral. I feel bad for his daughter. I really do. I do too. So let me just read one last comment from Keyes. But I knew, I've known since I was 14 that there were things that I thought were normal and that were okay that nobody else seems to think were normal and okay. So that's when I just started being a loner. I got in trouble a few times around that age. People found out some stuff I had did, like my parents and parents of other kids who would hang out with me, who would find out about some stuff I did. And that's when I just started doing stuff by myself pretty much exclusively. So he knew what he was doing wasn't right. He knew other, you know, the torturing of the animals, the stealing the guns, the shooting. He knew all of this and he just was who he was. He should have just said, hey, I have issues. Will somebody help me? Yeah. I don't know though. He was brought up in such a strange way that I don't know. I'm not saying it's the parent's fault. This is where you talk about nature versus nurture, right? Correct. So like I said in some previous episodes, some people I believe are just born in their bad eggs. They could have the nicest family upbringing and they could still turn into murderers. I agree with that 100%. Other times, it's partially because of the way they were raised, mixed in with a little bit of something not right, you know? So there's lots of factors to get into. And definitely mental illness plays a role in a lot of these cases too, I've noticed. Yes, That is something I hope that we can do a lot more in society with is because I think a lot of issues that we have, if identified earlier on in life, could actually prevent a lot more of these tragedies. Right. And with him, he's one of 10 children. When you have that many kids, it's probably hard to pinpoint something going on that's not right because you're just on the daily trying so hard to keep things status quo with your kids. I agree. That is a crazy, crazy case. I really wish that we could figure out who the rest of these victims are to bring closure to these families. So. They actually, I, I did read up on some of that, and it does seem like law enforcement is getting very close. Investigators are getting very close to being able to do that. So I think at some point soon we'll be able to find out. Good, good. Yeah, exactly. All right, guys. Well, thank you for sticking around for this extra long Thanksgiving Day episode. So glad that we finally gave you the one that you've been asking for 
well, pretty much since the day we started. Mm-hmm. Remember, guys, five-star review using charity. What's the phrase of the week? Dirtball. Use Dirtball. Five stars. Take a screenshot of it. Send it in to us, and you'll be entered to win a Case Watch shirt of your choice, and somebody else will win a four-pack of Case Watch stickers. So exciting. It is exciting. I love giving stuff away. Me too. If you guys think of any other cool ways to give some stickers away, send them our way, because we would love to get the stickers out to you guys. Absolutely. All right, guys. Until we talk again, have a good day. Bye. See ya. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc